Welcome, Welcome to Lab Life with the Air Force Research Laboratory. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Kenneth. Hello, folks. Today we are joined by Dr. Leonard Lightfoot to discuss his Black Engineer of the Year Award recognition, AFRL's Junior Force Council, and the not-so-mysterious origins of 5G. In three, two, one... Dr. Lightfoot, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how's it going? Glad to be here. You're an electrical engineer by training, so you're a smart guy about a lot of things. We're going to talk about microelectronics and 5G and some cool sensor stuff you've done in your career. You sit at the Pentagon, and you're kind of like, uh, I guess it would say like a advocate for how money is spent in regard to like science and technology and, and different research. Yeah, you spot on. So in short, the program element monitor for the sensors, um, S&T portfolio, formerly the, the sensors director in AFRL. And essentially, we oversee and defend the budget, S&T budget. And what that entails, annually, we inform Congress, professional staffers, about what we do with our, with our funding, our S&T funding. And from there, you know, they make decisions on how they're going to actually fund the Air Force based on our presentation information that we present. So that's the formal task. But being in the Pentagon, you wear multiple hats. So in addition to my formal job as a program element monitor where we defend the budget, we also kind of serve as technical translators uh, for senior leaders, um, being that we have, you know, S&T background, we, we're usually called upon to help inform decision makers on the various technologies. Well, that makes sense. We think some of our, you know, decision makers, they, it doesn't mean that they have a PhD, PhD in electrical engineering like you do, but they, they need to know a little bit to make a really informed decision. So often I'm imagining they just come and like, hey, Leonard, can you explain this or what's important? And you, you've got the buzz from other people in your career field, really. Correct. That is part of our daily job, right? To be on standby, to be able to answer the various questions that may come up on a variety of different technology areas. Uh, I'll just quickly touch on the different technology areas that the census directorate kind of covers. Um, it's one of those broad areas. We kind of, in short, we say the census directorate is the eyes and ears of the Air Force. So everything involving sensing, we're kind of within our portfolio namely, you know, ISR, anything to do with that position, navigation and timing. So think of GPS as an example for that. And then there's also electronic warfare. And then lastly, microelectronics. So those are very broad areas. So anything within those swim lanes per se, I'm usually called upon, but it's not just myself. I'm not the only PIM in the building. Um, There's uh, other PIMs from the Air Force Research Lab uh, from the other technical directors as well. So we're, we're a team representing the S&T portfolio for the Air Force. That's really interesting. All the different points and pieces that the sensors directorate and your work touches on. And one of the things you mentioned is a DOD modernization priority, and that's microelectronics. So I'd love to hear about why it's so important to the Air Force and why everyone else should really uh, well care about it. What, what makes it so cool and so special? Microelectronics components is in all of our systems. And it is one of the DOD's top modernization priorities. And one of the re- main reasons is that there's a su- supply chain shortage and that our systems are the heavily dependent 
on these microelectronics components. And with that, we want to make sure that all of our components are trusted and assured. Uh, we want to make sure that they're doing the functions that they're designed to do. And with these warfighter capabilities and platforms, we just can't take on that risk for these systems to fail. So that's why it is so important for our microelectronics components to be designed and trusted to do what they're supposed to do. And imagine, you know, trust is a huge component of that because you can't just source it from anywhere and expect it to perform at a certain level or not do anything else you don't want it to do, which could also be a, a actually a security and a safety concern. Correct. And the DOD has very unique requirements. I mean, you think about the different environments that we're operating in. Um, we want to go hypersonic speeds. We operate in the space domain. We operate in harsher environments in comparison to the commercial world. So that's why it's extremely important for the DOD to have access to these microelectronics components. Yeah, and we know that some of your, your colleagues that actually still sit physically in the Sensors Directorate at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base within the Air Force Research Laboratory, like uh, Dr. Emily Heckman, she was on the podcast earlier, and she was talking to us about microelectronics and 3D printing and stuff. So like, there's people that are nerding out there on a really like tactical level about how do we solve this problem and, and create more trusted sources in ways of, of knowing that these microelectronics are safe, let alone, you know, the supply chain implications as well. Now let's, let's dive into a little bit of 5G. What the heck is that? I, I see it in the news all the time. All right. First of all, I'll start off. What does the G stand for? <laughs> the G is generation. Um, not, nothing, no rocket science there, but essentially it's, a, it's the fifth evolution of mobile communication standard. Uh, we start off with 1G, that was just very analog voice communication. Then 2G started to, to do digital voice over the wireless channel and then introduce data as well, more information. And then you have 3G, which we're more familiar with, which became a lot more household name with the mobile devices. Um, and that introduced, again, higher data rates. 4G and 5G, the main difference is that we increasing our data speeds and adding more connected devices. But if you look at the frequency channel from 1G, to 5G to 6G, you're, what you're noticing is that we're actually increasing the frequency channel that we're actually transmitting on. And that is mostly enabled by the advances in microelectronics. Hey, I'm just glad that we established the G doesn't stand for gigawatts, gigahertz, or for you Star Wars fans out there, like Gamorreans. So not that I thought <laughs> that, but at least. So thank you for clarifying that. Actually, Leonard, I'm not going to lie to our listeners. I know how you got here because I've known you for about 10 or 11 years when I first uh, came to the Air Force and we were both in a group called Junior Force Council, which is kind of like, I don't say the, the club for new people to the Air Force, whether you're a civilian, you're an active duty officer or enlisted, it, it's, it's kind of your organization to help get you prepared for the workforce. And, and that's how we initially met, but you have a really cool background. So how did you end up going into the field of electrical engineering and then winding up at the Air Force? I guess I'll start with, I've always been very curious or enjoyed doing math problems, but I wasn't necessarily like really into math. Math. I was more interested in like the application of different math. So that kind of led me into engineering, into the STEM fields. So I did undergrad, I did computer engineering. So that was my first sort of intro to programming. 
um, at a more advanced level. And then from undergrad, I went to Michigan State University for grad school. And that's why I did electrical engineering as well, but I focused on wireless communications. I was always intrigued by how information is shared across the wireless medium. So I thought I would you know, pursue an advanced degree in it. And from there, I went to AFRL. It was not on my radar. I mean, coming from the big city of Los Angeles, um, I didn't know where Dayton was at, but I found the, little, the hidden gem, literally, and all of the different cutting-edge technology that AFRL is producing for um, our nation. And I was, for my master's degree, I did wireless sensor networks, and that was the area that the Air Force was doing research in. And so the alignment was perfect. So that was one of my first gigs, or I guess the first assignment here in the lab was work working on wireless sensor networks. It was a pretty cool lab that we had set up. We had these wireless sensors hanging from the ceilings, and we was doing a lot of different research on that sort of applications, sensing applications. That's pretty cool. I never thought about like what your lab space would have been as you as you showed up as like you said, the gem city, like Dayton is where the Air Force Research Laboratory is headquartered. We we have locations out at Edwards Air Force Base in California. We got Florida, Tennessee, New York, you know, all over, even some global locations. But yeah, we have a lot of technology right in a mid-sized city of Dayton, Ohio. Correct, correct. You know, so you you land at the Census Directorate. You'd been to LA, to Michigan. You'd been in Louisiana for some schooling and stuff like that. And then, hey, I, I met you in Junior Force Council. So what did you do within that group? Oh, yeah. So shortly after I arrived at Wright Pat AL Pharrell, like I mentioned, I was doing the wireless sensing network. And then I joined the Junior Force Council within the first two weeks. Um, I went on the blueing trip. So that was my first exposure to the JFC. And then a few months later, the current president was stepping down. And I was like, oh, Leonard, you'll be awesome at this. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, I just got here. I don't know what to do. I mean, the blueing trip was great, but I don't know the census directorate. But they thought it would be a good opportunity for me to grow and to meet other people. And that's how I kind of viewed it as that force and function for me to meet the other science and engineers, because science and engineers are just not extrovert people by default, right? So this was a good force and function to meet other people and to learn about the different tech areas that's actually being conducted in the census director and AFRL. And those blueing trips are really really cool too for our listeners when we say blueing trip it's because air force is blue that's our color so we're getting you all blue (laughs) because you get to go on you know maybe a cool trip that has this professional development element of it it's also it's fun because you get if you're a nerd about tech and you get to go see a cool sensors or anechoic chamber or some test facility that the general public doesn't have access to that's that's something you nerd out about but it also enables you to understand the ecosystem that you're working in and what other tech and projects other scientists and engineers are working on. Correct. I think that's what truly sold me coming into the research lab directly from grad school was the blowing trip within the first two weeks because you you merely see the, the application of your research and who you're doing this research for. But being getting out into the field engaging with the warfighters, seeing what their needs are, seeing where they would like to go with the technology firsthand was the most rewarding aspect of the Blue and Trip. 
And something I'm curious about too is that you mentioned at the top that when you really joined the Junior Force Council, you got an amazing opportunity to be the president pretty early on, which is pretty wild. So uh, kind of walk me through that headspace. So what was that like, not only having that honor like offered to you, but what tools did you get from really taking a leadership position so early on in your career here? Oh, yes. I remember talking to my wife about that decision. I was like, I don't know if I'm the right person. I don't know the organization, but uh, I talked to a mentor and one advice that he mentioned was like, now is always the right time. At that point, we didn't have any kids. So I guess I had a lot more time on my hands. And so it was actually perfect decision um, because not only did I get a chance to engage with the other junior force members in the directorate, but outside of AFRL as well. That's where I met Michelle. But then I also got a chance to report up to the director, who was an SES. And that was my first exposure to, you know, senior executive within the department. And we would meet, you know, once a month. It helped me out a lot in terms of grooming me and providing a much broader perspective for the Air Force. I have to say, I know it helps the the senior leaders too to hear junior workforce concerns. I still remember there was a Air Force Material Command commander, so Force Star General General Hoffman. And when I was the president of my Junior Force Council over at AFMC, you know, he wanted to know what our top five concerns were as Junior Force, and we could talk about what that was because that might not be what's keeping him awake at night. <laughs> but as as junior folks with different perspectives and and fresh look at things, we may have stuff that's a priority for us, whether it's a different element of retention or how resources are used or how people are treated, any of those things. And then, so while it was a cool opportunity for you as a junior force member, it was also like really helped that executive director type or director be informed about what junior scientists and engineers really cared about. Exactly. So one of the things that I had the honor to do was, you know, organize a blowing trip as the president and know you conduct the blue and trim you write a report and uh, somehow it landed on AFRL's commander's desk uh, General Masiello and he was like oh I want to outbrief on that so I had to put together a briefing and got a chance to brief General Masiello on on the blue and trip so some of the many cool things I got to experience and do as a JFC president and I think uh, it's it's kind of like a reflection of the culture at AFRL too like it doesn't necessarily mean that people of a certain rank associate with other people of a certain rank, like your voice as a new employee was valued and you had these opportunities for growth and impact. Yeah, it was a, it was a pleasure. It was a lot of fun, fun to get at that briefing. Yeah. I know that ended up a roundabout way. As, as you move a network, you end up becoming an, an exec officer. So support staff for your director. And, and that's probably what launched you into your job probably in the Pentagon today, right? Correct. So I guess my path to, to where I'm at is, is nowhere near linear. I'll just share a little bit of background information on how I landed that gig. Um, so we have a new director, Ms. Moser, for the Census Directorate, and she came from the Pentagon, her previous assignment, and she was looking for an exec. I remember getting the call. I was on leave. My supervisor was like, the director's looking for an exec. Every division needs to provide a name. Do you want to submit your name? I'm like, sure. It's a slim chance I'll be picked, right? Or I'll just submit my name. I saw the calendar invite for the interview. Then I had a change of heart. I was like, I don't think this is for me. Um, I think I want to stay on the technical track. It's like, okay, no sweat. We're removed. The calendar invite is gone. 
I still had a mental note of the date of when I was supposed to have an interview. I get a call from a person on the panel. It's like, I think you should still interview. I'm like, well, I am not dressed. I am regular lab clothes, but you should interview for the practice. I was like, okay, let me see what the interview is about. I'll just do it for the practice. And then I remember walking into the room with my regular clothes on and everybody's looking around like, why does he just have on regular clothes? And I'm like, this is for the practice. But mentally I knew that's what I was in the the room for. And I must have said something that just, I mean, I think the JFC experience helped me out because I was able to pull on a lot of the different activities that we did for the JFC. And Ms. Moser was impressed and she called me to her office a few days later. I was like, the job is yours. <laughs> I know you didn't initially like want to do this, but this is a unique opportunity. And so, uh, again, it's one of those weird things where I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And not necessarily not think about the current path I was on, which was a very technical path. Um, I kind of viewed it as an opportunity to to broaden my perspective and learn about the different technology areas. But, yeah, it's a crazy story. Uh, I still... <laughs> laugh at it because I had zero intentions of applying for that position. One thing that we do want to congratulate you on, Leonard, is that you are a Bea Award winner in the Science Spectrum Trailblazer category. So congratulations. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, That's it's a correct. huge Yeah, I'm a I'm it's a huge honor. Um I'm truly grateful for the award. Bea stands for the Black Engineer of the Year Award, specifically the Spectrum Trailblazer Award. Yeah, I, I'm honored to be a recipient of that award, especially given Bea. I think they were founded in 1981, so 40 plus years of honoring and recognizing African-American engineers is it's an honor to be in that category. And to kind of round things out, coming to a head uh, with the Bayer recognition and everything else, uh, you had a really interesting phrase from a mentor of yours. Now is always the right time. And that really resonated with Michelle and I, and I'm sure with a lot of our viewers. Like, what a cool way to contextualize if you're looking to do something, wanting to join the STEM field, thinking about that next position, or even thinking about like, hey, maybe I want to help some, you know, out with my family, do some IT work. Now is always the right time. It's very inspirational. So with that in mind, do you have any inspirational or that kind of advice for people in the up and STEM fields who may be going from middle school to high school or high school to college that could help them on their journey? I mean, the first thing I would say was just, you know, never stop learning, be flexible and do not be afraid to to rethink everything. That's how we continue to innovate. We challenge the, the thoughts of others. We challenge the thoughts of our own. We challenge our own thoughts. And yeah, just continue to learn and be flexible in your thought process. I love it. That's great. I mean, honestly, it can't end better than that. So we want to thank you again, Dr. Lightfoot, for having this time to com- or converse with us and really tell us your story. It's greatly appreciated. Uh, thank you so much. Make sure to follow us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube at AF Research Lab. And remember, stay curious. Logging off.